The information presented in this podcast is of a general nature and is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. It should never be used as a substitute for mental care, medical care, or for prevention, diagnosis, or treatment of any other illness. Always consult with a mental health or healthcare professional before engaging in any activities promoted in this podcast. Have you ever wanted to be a superhero? Join clinical psychologist Dr. Janina Scarlett and host Dustin McGinnis as they explore the psychology behind your favorite TV shows, movies, books, comics, video games, and more. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Superhero Therapy with Dr. Janina Scarlett. I am your host, Dustin McGinnis. I am a musician, filmmaker, and all-around fanboy. And I am Dr. Janina Scarlett. I'm a clinical psychologist, author, and a full-time geek. Today we're going to be discussing DC superheroes and the importance of the accurate representation of mental health in pop culture. Also, today we have a very special guest, the superherologist himself, Dr. Travis Langley. Thanks for being on our show, Dr. Langley. Oh, thanks for inviting me. Would you mind telling the audience a little bit about yourself? I was born a nerdy child. <laughs> I am Professor Travis Langley from Henderson State University, at Superherologist on Twitter, best known as the author of the book Batman and Psychology, A Dark and Stormy Night, the editor and lead writer, so head nerd in the herd, on a series of popular culture psychology books, uh, half of which are about comic books, half of which are on other things such as you know Star Wars psychology, Dark Side of the Mind, Game of Thrones psychology, the mind is dark and full of terrors. We got dark in a lot of these titles. <laughs> so- Looking for pop- Ultra psychology comic. Oh, comic shut up, Siri. <laughs> <laughs> that was fantastic. That's Siri's darkness coming through. <laughs> uh, we we should do a psychology of Siri book. Well, she defines diagnosis worse than the Joker does. <laughs> <laughs> to get back on track, the DC universe is extremely rich with incredible superheroes such as Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, and many others. What is it about DC superheroes that makes them so remarkable, even all these decades later? Oh, gosh. I mean, that's not a simple answer, but they started superheroes. I mean, they invented superheroes, at least the companies that would become DC Comics. Ultimately, every superhero, one way or another, is derivative of Superman. Faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Some of them more obviously derivative, some maybe it'd just be the fact that, you know, the guy's also wearing trunks uh, on the outside. You know, in terms of design and inspiration, you know, they, they start with Superman and then they grow and it's like, you know, the next big hits also came out of them. But they hit something meaningful. I mean, you have this all of history, all these heroes throughout all the thousands of years. You have these, these proto-superheroes, these characters that are getting closer to it. You know, whether you're the ones without superpowers like Zorro or characters who are a bit more fantastic, such as the Shadow uh, and uh, Doc Savage. Uh, but Superman is where that culminated, so it begins there. And so they also had a jump start on all the imitators. They tapped into something at a time. A couple of different things are coming together in superheroes. You've got the rebel heroes. They are the ones who are doing things on their own. They see things happening in the world and decide somebody needs to step up and do the right thing. Now, of course, there have been periods in the history when it gets sanitized. It's like, oh, they're all authorized to work with the police in the late 50s, early 60s, even though that makes no sense for the police to have somebody with them who uh, they don't know who it is under that mask. Right. But, <laughs> but uh, they reflect the times 
They reflect the kind of heroes that people want to see when you're seeing this complicated world and you're seeing problems that you can't imagine who can really fix these things. You want something a little extra. And what we see in the superheroes at different times has to do with what it feels like in the public consciousness of what that something extra needs to be. I also think that the superheroes represent the kind of person that we might want to become, maybe the kind of role models that we might want to have. And I think that many of them also help people build resilience and hope. Um, Our friend Brett Culp made a, a movie about how many people were inspired by Batman and then later a different movie about people who were inspired by Superman. Those are darn fine documentaries, even yes. if they didn't have us in them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think both Legends of the Night, which is the one that you were in, um, you know, the one about Batman and then uh, Look Up Into the Sky, the one that I was extremely honored to be interviewed for about Superman. Both of these show a great amount of people who were inspired by these superheroes to make a difference and also who were inspired by these superheroes to overcome tremendous adversity. I can certainly relate to this because for me, superheroes changed my life too, like for many other people out there. And what I really love too, I think the reason why these characters are as popular now as ever is because they are not perfect in that they have flaws and also they have a vulnerable side to them. They have the kind of side that we want to see and I think that seeing them struggling with the same kind of things that we're struggling with, seeing our own anxieties and traumas and devastations depicted and mirrored in these characters can help us better understand and manage our own difficulties as well. Just as a fan myself, being able to see their backstories and kind of relate to that. I mean, they all have different backstories and some of them have very tragic ones. And the the most tragic one happens to be Batman, in my opinion. We can cut through here. But it's starting to rain. Bruce is tired. Can't we just wait for him here? Come on, keep up. We're nearly there. Hold there, Please, there's no need for this. Stay where you are. I'll shoot. I'll give you whatever you want. Daddy! Tom! Oh, God! Oh, God, Tom! Be quiet, lady. Just shut up. Stay away from me! Run, Bruce! Mommy! Dr. Langley, you literally wrote the book on Batman and psychology. What is it about Batman and that universe that goes so well with psychology? Batman is the superhero without superpowers. People even argue, it's like, well, is he a superhero since he doesn't have superpowers? But he's a larger-than-life figure. He decides, I shall become an urban legend. I shall do things that other people don't. He is the the peak of human potential with uh, gadgets that help it seem more realistic that a person could do those things, even though those gadgets are often quite fantastic themselves. Hand me down the shark-repellent bat spray! It feels real even though it's more than is quite there. So it's close to our world. It feels like there could possibly be somebody like that, somebody to step up and do the right thing. Batman is a, is a mix of things. I mean, you know, he's the part of us that wants to scare life's bullies away. He's the part of us that wishes that when things are at their darkest and worst, when you know no bright-beaming godlike character in a red cape is going to fly out of the sky, that 
you wish somebody here in the darkness around you would step up and help. And Batman, because he doesn't have these powers, he, he is defined by his psychology. He is defined by that tragic origin that you know Bob and Bill came up with six months into the run. And they contemplated, what are the different things? Could it be his wife was killed by mobsters, and they decided there's probably nothing more traumatic than seeing your parents killed before your eyes. Writers in different ways in years since then have been trying to figure out their own spin on these things. It used to be only a small number of the heroes had tragedies in their backgrounds. Now it's been retroactively inserted in everybody's backgrounds. For most of his career, The Flash had parents. He's one of the few adult superheroes with two parents, and Jeff Johnson said, well, let's screw up that unique thing about him. <laughs> and also, because Batman is defined by his psychology his enemies are too and so he has this rich rogues gallery beyond what any other superhero has spider-man has an interesting rogues gallery several others have have interesting mixes of characters but batman's tops them all they are not defined by their powers they are defined by who they are their personalities their quirks their compulsions Say you're a writer and you have to come up with a new enemy to fight Superman. You always have to start off with what challenges his powers. With Batman, you start off with what challenges him as a character. Behind all the stern and batter eggs, you're just a little boy in a playsuit crying for mommy and daddy. It'd be funny if it weren't so pathetic. Do you want to know something funny? Even after everything you've done, I would have saved you. <laughs> that actually is pretty funny. <laughs> that right there adds depth to the enemies as well, and the whole story becomes more rich psychologically. No, oh, definitely. That brings up, Dr. Scarlett, that you've been using superhero therapy with your patients for years. Can you please talk about how you got started and what your backstory entails? Sure. I was born and raised in Ukraine, and when I was uh, just a couple of months shy of my third birthday, there was a massive explosion at the Chernobyl nuclear power plant, and we were all exposed. Uh, we were all treated for acute radiation poisoning. Nevertheless, this is something that forever affected my life and have lifelong health issues as a result. And when my family and I moved to the United States, I, like many seventh graders, was bullied, um, except the content of my bullying had a lot to do with where I was coming from. And the, the most painful comments are the ones I remember most to this day, were ones where people would ask me if I glow in the dark and if I'm radioactive. Yeah, but glowing in the dark would be cool. It would be. So for most people, I would jokingly say that I'm still working on the glowing in the dark superpower, you know. But the truth is, most of the time it was meant as a as a tease, as a jab. And I think it was the intention more than even the message itself that really injured me at that time. So I spent the first couple of years living in this country just feeling very different and wanting very badly to fit in and belong. And it was, for me, actually, the X-Men that turned it all around because I realized that being different was actually cool. Uh, in my connection with the X-Men, I realized that our adversity can actually give us an origin. And from that origin, we can learn to heal and help other people. And that really inspired me. It was after that that I decided to study psychology in high school and went into this career. And during my 
postdoctoral training at um, Camp Pendleton. I was working with active duty Marines with post-traumatic stress disorder and many of them really related to Superman and unfortunately judged themselves very harshly for having developed a mental health disorder and believed themselves to be a failure. This is where my geeky knowledge came in hand, you know, in terms of talking to my clients about the fact that every single superhero has a kind of vulnerability, including Superman, and it is not despite but because of this vulnerability that they're so much more impressive and so much more amazing. And that's kind of where superhero therapy got started for me. Now I specialize in incorporating pop culture, both traditional superheroes as well as other pop culture elements into evidence-based therapy to help people recover from depression, anxiety, and PTSD. You were just talking about vulnerabilities and how superheroes happen to have them. All of them have some kind of a vulnerability that makes them really relatable. DC is gearing up to introduce Heroes in Crisis, which I think will have heroes having another step above in vulnerability. What are you guys' thoughts on that? When I first heard about it, I was really excited, and I still am. I think this is a big step forward. I'm looking forward to reading it. But the fact that the person writing it is somebody that has had combat experience and also has gone through PTSD, I'm excited about the side of superheroes having to go into the sanctuary to manage their PTSD. I'm excited but also very nervous about how it's going to turn out because I think we've seen both comic books and then TV shows that were done well and then some that were not done so well and some that show mental health as a normal experience and some that pathologize it. Yeah, when they try to write about psychology and psychiatry and specific mental health issues in comic books writers usually get it wrong sometimes very wrong to the point of pain and those who aren't actively trying to do that but just have a good sense of human nature tend to get basic human nature right but when they're going into these specific psychological issues they often mess it up so badly i end up worrying about it like you know, why do batman's enemies fill an asylum when they know what they did they know it was wrong that's what was fun about it for them they should be legally sane which you know is based on psychological recommendations there was a graphic novel batman jekyll hyde that in the first few pages it had gotten the psych this is when the author's trying to bring in psychology and he gets things wrong so badly in just a few pages that I had to stop reading like when he says that dopamine is given to uh, schizophrenic individuals that is an antipsychotic that's like throwing gasoline onto a fire and that just drove me crazy Tom King he researches things he's got good experience he's a smart man and I, I am very hopeful I got scared because of this recent thing with this, the article said psychoanalyst. I haven't been able to determine for certain if he's a psychoanalyst or not. Could be they used the wrong word in the headline. Although a number of things I'm going through is writing, he's like, that does sound psychoanalytic. And the things he said are so far off target, they reflect not just superficial knowledge of the comic book characters, this particular psychologist, he worries me in terms of what he's talking about, mental health itself. and. You really have to be wary 
when it comes to di- I mean here we are you know Janine and I write about fictional characters we talk about them in public all the time you know we'll speculate on things regarding mental health and treatments we're not doing superficial stuff there will be people sometimes say hey we, uh, there was one article I was asked to give uh, assessments of these six different characters from a particular area of comedy and I wasn't going to do it because I didn't know them that well so, and, and the editor wasn't that concerned it's like I was not going to do it um, because my knowledge of them was superficial uh, though I do realize that insurance companies and you know, Medicaid often expect you to diagnose a mental illness as quickly and accurately as someone diagnoses malaria. It's not that simple. We are complicated. Yeah. And so this particular therapist that it said that DC hired him. I don't know if he's actually consulting with King or not, or if they just hired him to write one piece for DC Nation number four. And I'm not going to go pick up DC Nation number four just to see what this guy says when we already saw in his Bleeding Cool interview that the stuff he says is idiotic. And yes, that <laughs> is a strong word to use, but I'm going to stand behind that word. It's idiotic. Well, I mean, that that's a very strong opinion. I think you both have strong opinions. I read Janina's article and do you want to elaborate on your opinions about it, too? I agree with what Dr. Langley said. I, I think that it was really irresponsible of this mental health professional to just provide such blasé reports. I think it's one thing to diagnose a fictional character while providing evidence, right? There's certain characters, like I often talk about Storm, I talk about Buffy, that are very clear in the symptoms that the writers were trying to portray in them. In fact, in Storm, in the X-Men comics, the word claustrophobia is actually used. It was clear that that was the intended diagnosis. And with other characters, we can imply, right? We might say, well, it kind of looks like this character might have these kind of symptoms. There's certain ways of talking about mental health that can make it look like something that can happen to anybody. And there's a way to talk about mental health that can pathologize it. And unfortunately, from what I've read from the Bleeding Cool interview, the diagnoses that this mental health professional prescribed to the characters, not only did I disagree with, not only was there no evidence to support this individual's claims, but the way that they were presented seemed really judgmental toward people who have these disorders. In fact, in one of the statements, he actually made fun of one of these patients and, and one of these disorders that, yeah, I mean, these are fictitious characters, of course, but nevertheless, that approach actually made me cringe. I certainly did not agree with Harley Quinn having schizoaffective disorder. I didn't agree with Batman having OCD. I can see why somebody might theorize that, but I, I, I don't agree with these diagnoses. But what I really don't agree with is the way that it was presented. I think it's insulting to people that truly have those diagnoses. And the way it was written, I think, was an insult to the profession. I mean, hearing you guys right now, it's like, you have these trepidation and this this fear, and but you also have this hope about how they're going to depict it. I mean, why is it so important to carefully depict mental health, and what are the risks involved? You need to teach the world what real mental health looks like and what uh, the you know mental illness looks like. If you're going to have a condition that does not exist in the real world. You can do that, but you've got to present it in a way that, okay, it's like, okay, this is a sci-fi thing that's happened to this character's brain, and the other characters acknowledge that, oh, well, this is something we're going to have to make up a name because this is, okay, tell the world. It's like you're doing this to fit this fictional story. 
After Big George Latimer, a crooked politician, forcibly fed him liquid kryptonite, Superman lost his memory. Then, unaware of his identity, the Man of Steel adopted the name Bud Smith and became a sensational baseball pitcher, working his way up from the Bush Leagues to the Major League Metropolis Titans. The movie Fifty First Dates uh, presents a kind of amnesia that does not exist in the real world, but really suited their story. Ten Second Tom. I really like I like the movie, but they made up a fictional disorder name, and it's like. Okay, so it's like nobody's going to go hunting and thinking that is. There was a Dana Carvey movie. I always forget if it was Blank Slate or Clean Slate. And he had a, a some, he had a, a related kind of amnesia, a fictional amnesia. And they called it Korsakoff's. It didn't re- Korsakoff's is a real syndrome. It didn't remotely resemble that real syndrome. And so for people suffering it, people in their lives could misunderstand what they have. They could have completely wrong idea about how to treat them and what they need or, or be skeptical about them having it all because it didn't match the stupid Dana Carvey movie. We've got to be careful about how we think about these things and what we show people. You, you can be realistic. You can be true to human nature. Or you can be out like you can have a character. That, I, mean, I say repeatedly the Joker defies diagnosis because we don't know what goes on inside his head. And for storytelling purposes, I think that's wonderful. Then it gets in terms of the effects that he has on other people. Harley, we know some things about what goes on inside her head. And so we have to be a bit more careful. When I mean, you could speculate, oh, the Joker could have this and this and this and this, but on none of them can you provide sufficient evidence and you have to acknowledge that. And therapists sometimes have to acknowledge these are the potential diagnoses, but there are some reasons to be skeptical even about these. Perhaps the client is untrustworthy in the information they're presenting, such as that. But, I mean, not one of these characters that they go through do I agree with the diagnoses or even the fact that they should be diagnosed. The way he goes through here, it looks like you can apply a mental disorder label to anybody in the world. Including Wonder Woman. Including what was Wonder that? Woman. With Wonder Woman, people have been asking for years. You're going to do a Wonder Woman book, and and for a while I was thinking, okay, we got to fill a book with a mentally healthy character. Well, you build it around what is mentally healthy. Okay. Superman with conversion disorder, without even saying what it is, it's like, what the hell is he talking about? He's calling <laughs> things Superman has conversion disorder. Anybody look just just look it up. He he doesn't. Oh, I'm I'm stressed out, so hey, I'm partially paralyzed. No, it's like there's there's. I'm with you. I'm with you. And the very definition of a disorder implies that it impairs an individual's function, either professionally or personally, socially, in some kind of way. And for most of these superheroes, they do not meet the criteria for a mental health disorder. Like most people out there, they struggle with different things. But they do not actually, not all of them anyway, meet the criteria for these You know, on the mental health side, I am daily fighting to reduce mental health stigma in the world. I can't even tell you how many patients are scared to come to see me, scared to disclose certain things to me because of what they have been led to believe in terms of them being raised to think that mental illness is a weakness or that it makes them somehow broken or that they need to just pull themselves together, but not everyone can do that and some people need skills and support and some people need medicine it's so difficult to first help a person who has the mental illness to reduce their own stigma about mental illness and then also to help their family who might not have mental illness and might not be able to relate to that person's experience also to have a better understanding of what a particular condition is but now if we have these kind of 
articles by mental health professionals that have some credibility because of their medical or graduate training, then now we're potentially increasing the very kind of stigma that we have spent decades fighting against. This is very dangerous. Just listening to you guys and the frustration you guys have, it seems like representation. What frustration? What, what frustration? You're, you're, <laughs> Denial. You're, 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 you're projecting. <laughs> well, I mean, sorry. representation is obviously very important. So what would you want the writers and creators to keep in mind when they're writing and creating characters with these psychological histories? Do your research. Obviously, do your research. Don't only read a Wikipedia article. Read some books. Talk to mental health professionals. Talk to people that have had that kind of an illness and more than one person. Don't just build it on yourself or what you've seen in a movie or a TV show. Actually do your research. I think the TV show that got it right, like no other, was The Punisher. And that is because Christine Boylan and the other writers that worked on that show actually did their research. They talked to mental health professionals. They talked to veterans. They talked to family members. They talked to nurses. They talked to everyone involved in this kind of care to see what PTSD can look like for returning service members and veterans. I was so glad they did a good job with The Punisher. It was like... I, it, it was above anything I expected, but in terms of getting those kind of things right and the story and all this is because, well, we know Christine, so it's also good to be able to look forward to tell her it's like we genuinely appreciate the work they did. And she got it right. I worked with active duty service members for many years. I've heard these statements. I feel like I worked with those same people. It's as if those same characters that I saw in that show, I know them. I don't actually know the characters and the actors, but I've seen very similar depictions of trauma reactions in my patients, and it means a lot that they got it right. Well, in Daredevil Season 2, when they introduced that version of The Punisher, and the part of the season I liked, which was the Daredevil Punisher movie, when Frank Castle, The Punisher, is giving this antidote, talking about after he's gotten home, and, you know, and just feeling tired, too tired to do things oh. with his kids. And that I was, love that scene. That was, it's such a realistic depiction, and I've never heard it presented that way in any TV show before. It was amazing. I love that performance so much. I remember it so vividly. That, that, that's the one where he's in the graveyard, right? Mm-hmm. Talking to him, and he's all shot up, and he's like, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> crazy. The one batch, two batch. Since we're on the same subject, what would you like mental health professionals to keep in mind when writing about or discussing the psychological and fictional characters they are trying to represent? Be frank and honest about how much or little you know about the characters. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you know very little and say, well, based on this one depiction, it looks like such and such. There was a psychiatrist who emailed me right after my Batman book came out. He had an article talking about Batman with PTSD. And I think he must have flipped straight to the trauma chapter because some things he said showed he didn't know the other chapters. But he wanted to see how it jived with what he had written about Batman with PTSD. You know, I would say it's like Batman, as usually written, has certain symptoms but not a full set. And of course, PTSD's nobody follows a cookbook when developing these things anyway. But and he, he wanted to debate that, and he and one was he talked about repressed memories in there and as Batman not remembering his parents murder I said okay that's the Batman forever version that's not any other version in fact that's something that this uh, writer for the DC thing in the bleeding cool interview he talked about Batman's repressed anger Batman does not repress his anger (laughs) 
or his repressed grief. Even more, even more so. He's, he'll, he'll, he'll contain his mountain of anger, but his repressed grief led to the what repressed grief? Batman grieves all the time. He is not repressed at all. He carries it more heavily mm -hmm. than most people, which is common among those who show post-traumatic growth. Yeah. They carry their pain more than average. They certain things, particularly the re-experiencing. They re-experience the event more. Uh, John Walsh, whose son Adam was brutally murdered. Candace Leitner, whose daughter got killed by a drunk driver, and she made her version of the Batman vow and created Mothers Against Drunk Drivers. You know, these individuals, they held on to their pain as if finding a way to find greater peace felt selfish. It's like, no, instead they're going to hang on to that grief and express it. And so, you know, Batman does not repress his grief like this guy in Bleeding Cool said, or as, as uh, that psychiatrist wanted to argue with me about, if, if you want to analyze the Batman Forever version of Batman, go right ahead to try to remember what your original question was. Uh, if, you, if you want to diagnose the Batman Forever version, go ahead, diagnose that version. But acknowledge that you're doing this specific version, you're not mixing and matching. If you're trying to go Batman in general, then you need to go for what are the more common depictions. Absolutely. I think that's a great point. I think what I would really like to see from mental health professionals talking about fictional characters is this kind of careful discussion that you're talking about, Travis, in terms of being careful about what we talk about. Like if we're going to say something with certainty, such as this character definitely has this diagnosis, then we should be able to provide very clear evidence. But I think it just pays to say it looks like this character has this particular disorder with few exceptions. Again, like I think Storm is an obvious exception because it specifically says in the comics the word claustrophobia and, and we see her having all the symptoms. I think that it makes sense for our patients and our community to see us being careful about our discussions about mental health and I think we need to keep in mind like if my patient read this what would I want them to take away from this what kind of message would I want them to learn and me personally I'm very hope driven uh, I think that's why I like Superman so much so I like to leave messages of hope in terms of e you know even if a character is struggling with something excruciatingly painful there's still hope there's still healing there's still resilience and I think that allowing our patients and, and other people with different kind of mental illnesses to get this kind of message can be healing. Whereas if we're nonchalant about it, we can actually potentially do damage. I love to end our podcast with hope and you were just discussing hope, but I want to keep going. <laughs> but I mean, I, I, I've kind of run well, out we of... Can, we yeah. can easily come back. Superheroes are ultimately about hope, even Batman. But we can go back to that. Yeah. I mean, I, I want to go into so many different things. I want to go into Joker and people who relate to Joker and things like that and what that's all about. But I mean, I guess that would be a longer discussion that we should get into in a later time. So I guess I'm going to go ahead and wrap this episode of Superhero Therapy up with Dr. Janina Scarlett. Again, my name is Dustin. You can find me on Twitter at The Valiant Geek. And I'm Dr. Janina Scarlett. I'm at Shadow Quill on Twitter. And Travis, if you can give our audience a way to find you on social media. I'm easy to find. I mean, generally just look for Travis Langley on Facebook or Twitter, but I'm at Superheroologist on Twitter. You're still probably better looking for Travis Langley so you can spell it right. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Langley. We really appreciate you being yes, on our show. Yes, thank you so much. Well, I always like talking to you all. No, and I will see you soon at uh, some convention we might both be at. Yes, yes. <laughs> we, uh, we will all be at New York Comic Con. Well, thanks so much, and keep up the hope, everybody, and keep superheroing. I used to want to save the world, to end war and bring peace to mankind. But then I glimpsed the darkness that lives within their light and learned that inside every one of them, there will always be both. A choice each must make for themselves, something no hero will ever defeat. And now I know that only love can truly save the world.